Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, there is a character named Dolores Umbridge. Now, if you don't know the story, that's fine. All you need to know, she is the main antagonist of this story. She's a school teacher who spends her time making life as miserable for her students as possible. She winds up becoming one of these characters that you just love to hate. If you've watched a movie or a book that has a character like that, then you know exactly how this plays out. Uh, She winds up, when it comes to her discipline, being downright medieval, using physical pain to inflict her anger uh, and outrage on students. Towards the end of the book, she even becomes the headmistress of the school, further extending her reign of terror. And as the story unfolds, one outrage leads to the next and leads to the next. And as a reader, you're wondering just when or if justice will ever be done. That she'll get what's coming to her. Now, following the pattern of this story, at the very end, justice is done. But the author, J.K. Rowling, she masterfully holds the reader in, in suspense and tension wondering when or if that might ever come. Now, in the end, good does decisively win, evil is defeated, and this justice, which has been long delayed, finally comes. Now, this story follows a pattern of many stories, many movies, uh, books that we enjoy. It's kind of a justice-delayed sort of story. And on its face... It appears as if the parable Jesus tells for us today, the parable of the tenants, is a story like that, a story of justice delayed. It's a story that Jesus actually reworks from a much older version, that version that you heard read from the prophet Isaiah, a story about, really, God and his people, Israel. Jesus takes this story and he tweaks it. He makes one little addition He adds these tenants who become the antagonists of this story. But the basic details are all the same. In both, you have the owner of this land who builds a vineyard and does everything that is necessary to ensure its success. He plants the vines, digs a wine press, he builds a wall and a watchtower in the midst of this field. And then... As the master goes away, the land is lent out to tenants. When harvest time comes, the owner of the vineyard sends servants to collect his share of the fruit. But those servants are not received well. They are beaten, some of them stoned, and some killed. Then the master of the house sends more, and they're treated the same. Finally, he decides he will send his son, thinking they will respect my son. But those tenants, they don't think that. They see this son coming by himself, and they think, you know what, perhaps if we kill this son, the heir of this vineyard, maybe the owner won't return. He'll die in this far-off country, and then we'll receive the harvest, not just for one season, but for all the seasons to come. And as you hear this story, it's, it's kind of a harebrained scheme. You wonder, you know, just what these guys were thinking, that they would be able to get away with this. 
that they would in fact somehow inherit this vineyard after killing all of these servants, after mistreating them and killing the only heir of the master. It's a little bit like the the guys in our day that run Ponzi schemes, believing that they can receive successive returns again and again and again and that there will never be a time when the things collapse around their ears. Jesus ends this story in an odd sort of way with a question. He turns to the chief priests and the Pharisees, those who have been questioning his authority, those to whom he is telling this story. He turns to them and says, in effect, what do you think will happen next? What will happen when the owner of this vineyard returns? And their reply is simple. He will bring those wretches to a miserable death, and then he'll lend out the vineyard to other tenants who will give the owner his fruit in its season. As I said before, it looks for all the world like a story of justice delayed. It seems like a simple enough story, a very simple message on the outside. Don't be like those tenants. But there's more to this story than that. And there's two ways we see that there's more than this, more to this story than just a story of justice delayed. The first hint of something different comes when you take your focus and you turn it away from the tenants and what they're doing and you turn it on the owner of the vineyard and what he is doing. So let's do that for a moment. So here you've got this owner of the vineyard. He goes away to a far country and then he sends servants to receive the fruit of the harvest, his share of that harvest in his place. Now they're beaten, they're stoned, and some are killed. It's what he does next, which is the first surprising thing that happens. He sends more servants. Not police, not an army, not a retina of soldiers to exact his vengeance. He just sends more servants, and they're treated the same. Some are beaten, some are killed, and some are stoned. And then he does the incomprehensible thing. He says to himself, I'm going to send my son, my only heir. And hearing the story, you've got to take a step back and wonder, what was this guy thinking? He's already seeing an established pattern of how these servants of his have been mistreated and killed. What in the world would cause him to send his son and only heir on his own to treat with these bloodthirsty men. And yet, it's exactly what he does. The owner of this vineyard in the story Jesus tells acts more like a desperate parent trying to reach a wayward son or daughter than he does a shrewd businessman. What he does, it doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. It's the kind of crazy thing that comes with being in love. Now the climax of the story and the second interesting detail in it is that Jesus suspends the story. If you notice as you're reading through it, he never gives you the ending, the resolution of the story. As he's telling the story, the story ends with the son being killed and then Jesus stops the story and he turns to the chief priests and the Pharisees, those who he's been telling the story to, and he asks them to essentially fill in the blank. 
If you had to fill the ending of the story in, how do you believe it would go? He says to them, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? And their reply is he will bring those wretches to a miserable death. This is where we make the leap as we hear this story and we read it, jumping to the conclusion that it's a justice-delayed sort of story. But really at its heart, it is not about that. He asks the chief priests and the Pharisees, how will this story end? What will the resolution be? And it's not Jesus that supplies the answer. They're the ones who supply the answer. They're the ones whose imagination can only go in one direction. All they can imagine is violence. And so they give their violent reply. When the owner of the vineyard comes, he will kill those men, bring those wretched men to a wretched death, and then he'll lend out the vineyard to others. By this answer, they wind up condemning themselves. That's part of Jesus' strategy, I suspect, to have them voice their own condemnation. But because Jesus ends the story in the way that he does, and he suspends the ending, it's an invitation for you and I, as we hear this story, to hear that same question from Jesus to them posed now to us. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? How would you answer? And another way to get at the answer or a possible answer to this question is to ask not what will the owner of the vineyard do when he comes, but what did he do next? See, this is where history can help us a bit. The owner of the vineyard, we we know some of the details of the story because it's built off of this earlier story from Isaiah. The owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyard itself is the nation of Israel, the people of God. In the story, as Jesus tells it, the tenants are the leaders of Israel, the political leaders and the religious leaders, the servants who were sent. Wave after wave of these servants, they stand for the prophets. Those that God sent to his people again and again and again. Some who were mistreated, some who were killed. And then there's the heir, the son, whom we know as Jesus. So, to fill in the end of the story as Jesus is telling it, what happens What does the owner of the vineyard do when his son is killed? See, judgment is not the first thing that happens. God does not respond with violence and vengeance when his son, Jesus, is nailed to the cross. Instead, three days later, he responds with life and mercy. He raises Jesus from the grave. He sends him back again to his people with a message of forgiveness, calling his people to repentance. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends out his followers to bring that same message to bear to a wayward world full of wayward people, a message of grace and mercy. So the violence in this passage is not coming, uh, not being initiated 
by an angry and vengeful God. It results from human greed and injustice. And when Jesus hears the reply of the Pharisees, a reply filled with violence, will bring those wretcheds to a miserable death and lend out the, the vineyard to others, he tamps down that language of violence. He says that, that they will be removed The kingdom of God will be removed from them. And then he changes the metaphor a bit. He says that the stone, when they fall on it, they will be broken to pieces. In his answer, what Jesus is getting at is that injustice carries the seeds of its own destruction. It's a little bit similar to what Jesus says to Peter in the garden when he says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Now to go back from our example at the beginning from Harry Potter, uh, there's a conversation that happens between Harry Potter, this student, and one of his trusted adults about Dolores midway through the story. And he has this question because he's built in his mind this idea that Dolores Umbridge, the main antagonist, that she is the full embodiment of evil, a death eater in the story. And his, this trusted friend replies, the world isn't full of good people and death eaters, or for our purposes, good people and evil people. We tend to break people down into these categories, and when we place them in the category of evil, we write them off and we wait for justice to be done. And sometimes we glorify in that moment when justice finally seems to be done. But that is not what this parable is about. Not at its heart. We title it the parable of the tenants, but it might just as easily be called the parable of the patient owner of the vineyard. See, God's patience and kindness is meant to bring us to repentance This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans in the second chapter. That we shouldn't take God's patience and kindness for granted. Yes, there will come a day when justice finally is done. When a balance is restored and the scales are set right. But that day is in the future. Today we stand at the end of the story Jesus tells. A story where, yes, many of the prophets who were sent beaten and killed. God's own son was nailed to a cross and died. But God raised him from the grave and sent him back to us so that we might hear and know this message of God's grace and mercy. So that we might know him as God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. May you know that this morning. Amen. We pray. God, we thank you for your patient kindness toward us. We have not always used what you have loaned us as you desire. Give us repentant hearts so that we would turn from our sin and live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.